Hey there, welcome back to MVP Podcast, where we are showcasing leaders who live through their mission, vision, and passion to drive growth, profits, and loyalty. Today's guest is Amber Gunst. She's the CEO of Austin Technology Council and a personal friend of mine. We've known each other for a long time, and I'm super excited to have you here today. Thank you. Well, thank you, and I'm excited to do this with you. And yeah, I think it's been a little over 10 years at this point. Yeah, yeah. We've seen ourselves through a lot of transitions and changes. Um, So starting with that, tell me a little bit about your history before Austin Technology Council. Well, I'm a Michigander by birth, and by 36 years after birth um, and, you know, moved down here in 2009. Uh, the, the economy, mm-hmm. the depression and everything that was going on hit Michigan really hard. Yeah. And it just got to a point where even though I was doing okay, it was really hard to see friends and family and, and neighbors, you know, go through a lot of significant loss. And, you know, I had friends that lived down in the New Braunfels area. They said, mm. hey, you should come down here. I came down for a visit. I'd been to Texas many, many, many times. And Austin many times over the many, many times being in Texas. Because, <laughs> you know, you, you come to Austin and it's like, oh, that's right. I was in Texas. And you, you know, I, I was here and it was just, there was there was none of that heavy uh-huh. feeling. There wasn't a lot of dread. People were smiling. Things seemed to be going really well and just made the decision that, you know, needed to do it. Um, moved down about a year later cause I had a house to sell. I had, you know, a lot of plans to put into place and, and got down here and have been here ever since July, 2009 and, and love it. That's Interesting. I didn't even know that we met right after you moved here then. Yeah. So we've known each other ever since then. Um, So how do you describe the mission of ATC? Well, we've got this lovely mission statement that, you know, Mm -hmm. we we wrote out and worked with our board to develop that I um, should know by heart and will never memorize. Um, (laughs) Memorization is not my, my key thing. So... So I'll never win an Academy Award for anything. But um, how I look at what we do every single day Mm -hmm. is we promote and support the growth of tech. And so every time we talk to our members, every time um, my team and I sit down and and chart out what are the events and programs we're going to put together, what are the goals that we have, everything needs to be around promoting and supporting the growth of tech in Austin. And Mm -hmm. that includes Austin-based companies that are founded here. Mm -hmm. And it's also companies that choose to come into Austin and, you know, develop a team and develop sources of what they're trying to accomplish as a greater goal. That's awesome. So I don't think you need to memorize this specific (laughs) mission when you know what you are trying to achieve and your your Mm -hmm. team knows that as well. What are some of the obstacles that you overcome in or that you come up against in trying to achieve that mission as the leader of this organization in a tech-heavy city that there's a a lot of competition for, for organizations that say that they're promoting business? Yeah, so when I came into Austin Technology Council in 2017, we we were really struggling with that in a very severe way, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and it had been a struggle for a while that it wasn't so much that we lost our way, it was that we lost our ability to tell the community what it is we were working on mm-hmm. and what we were doing and who we were focusing on. And, you know, and part of that is, you know, it's like, we're this scrappy little startup town and 
part of Austin is a scrappy little startup town. And I am the biggest proponent of the scrappy little startups because those scrappy little startups become a small company and then become a mid-sized company. And our goal is to make them enterprise companies someday. Yeah. It's like WP Engine was yeah. a scrappy little company. Not yeah, SailPoint was a scrappy little company. And mm-hmm. so looking at these scrappy little companies and saying, okay, right now you don't have product out on the market yet. You, you, you're probably still trying to raise your first initial investment and you haven't done customer acquisition. So you need to be part of the community that helps you with that. Mm -hmm. That's not what ATC is. And we weren't really sharing what it is we were for a long time. Mm -hmm. So coming in, work together with the team that was there at the time to like really define what we were as a membership association. Mm -hmm. And then working from there to develop, how do we want to get this out there? And what do we want this messaging to be? And I was fortunate enough because I was head of sales at the time to be able to say, this is what I want our messaging to be. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to go tell people this. <laughs> right. And you guys are just going to nod and smile and say, yeah, that's that's what she, she, she said it. That's what we're doing. And and it worked because that was the vision that I'd always thought of when I when I thought of ATC. Yeah. Even when I was with the Austin Chamber years ago, it was like, well, ATC does this. And, you know, people would be like, yeah, I think they do that. And it's yeah. like, no, that's what they do. So it was, it was fun to come in and actually be an employee of ATC and say, this is what we do. So, mm-hmm. so So I did a study of who are our members? What do they look like? Who are they? So 65% of our membership has between 2 million and 120 million in revenue. And the reason that number range is so important is those are the fastest growing and scaling companies in Austin from a Mm. tech perspective. Mm -hmm. 30% 30 of our companies have north of 120 million in revenue. So those are those companies that are in that midsize range and they're reaching to be that enterprise range. 5% of our companies have less than 2 million in revenue. Most of those have north of 500,000 in revenue. Mm -hmm. So 100% of our companies are Mm post-product, post-customer acquisition revenue. They've done some type of fundraising or bootstrapping for themselves to get themselves to that point. And and so looking at it and going idea stage and pre-seed and seed stage companies, depending on if you bootstrapped, Right. prior than a seed stage company makes sense for us. But if you're if you're just starting customer acquisition, if you're just launching your product, we're probably not the best resource for you unless we can do something specific for you. So we have a few members that have come on in the last couple of years where even though they were just launching their product and they were just starting to do customer acquisition, what they were doing customer acquisition in made complete sense to come and be part of what mm-hmm. our organization is. But we try to be really transparent with some of those small companies. And in doing that, we were able to tell a better story to those small, mid, and enterprise companies Mm -hmm. to say, this is who we are, this is what we do, and this is what we're focused on. So I think the big challenge all along has been telling that story. Well, we've been telling it now for two and a half, almost three years. Mm -hmm. So now now it's the challenge of, hey, this stuff we've been talking about wanting to do for members, we now have hit the membership goals of of the number of members that we needed to start doing those things. Mm -hmm. So this past Monday, we launched our scaling series, which is a 10-week curriculum-based course that helps companies between one and five million in revenue get beyond that range and go to the 10 to 100 million revenue companies. So that's something we've been working on for about 
two and a half years mm-hmm. and we finally were able to launch it. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So in, in, because it's curriculum based, it wasn't really something that we could just wake up on a Tuesday and say, we'd like to do sure. this on, on Thursday, start registering <laughs> people for yeah. So, so it's content. been a, it's been a long process. It's been a labor of love and we've been really fortunate. We've partnered with St. Edwards University, Rice Alliance, and Baker Botts to put it together. So it's exciting. It's kind of like drinking through a fire hose, but it's a really good fire hose. It's the one you need to drink from. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Well, I've seen uh, the content uh, that that you're producing, the types of events that ATC puts on change over the years, and um, didn't know the studies and the, and the focus that had directed that change, but I can see it uh, as someone who's been in the networking space and gone uh, not technical networking, going and chatting it up with other folks, <laughs> being a member of ATC, uh, seeing how the content has been more directed toward that target audience. So well done on that. Um, you you mentioned those partnerships that you ha- brought on to um, to put together the curriculum. Is that something that you have done personally, reached out and, and worked to develop those partnerships to ha- make that curriculum happen? Is that something that was under your well, lead? Well, it... It started originally with my predecessor, Barbara Brunner, mm-hmm. um, when she was CEO of ATC. It was it was something that, you know, as an employee of ATC, we were, she and I were discussing, you know, what this should look like and what I was hearing from companies. And originally when we thought of the scaling series, we thought, okay, well, this might be like a fun lunchtime series for war stories and best practices. And then we are extremely fortunate to have David Altunian on our board of directors. Mm-hmm. And he had been in discussions with Robert McKee from Rice Alliance about the fact that an entrepreneurial boot camp that they used to do had kind of fallen by the way of the buffalo or, you know, on the roadside or what. I, I cannot think of the right analogy, but either way, <laughs> it's, it's, been, it's been a long week. I used all my words up by Monday. So, um, so they were having a discussion around how to put something together. Well, David was sitting in our board meeting mm-hmm. and he had an aha moment and approached Barbary because we were talking about what we wanted to do. And he said, how about we do this instead? So she started the groundwork probably in early 2018 mm-hmm. with both David and Robert. And then she stepped away from ATC in May of 2018 mm-hmm. to go and help a company go public at that point, I took over and, and picked up the ball with David and Robert. And then in our January of 2019, um, we I was sitting down with the team at Baker Bots and was talking to them about what we wanted to do, how we wanted to do it. They had some really great ideas about bringing legal counsel in, um, developing curriculum around that, because there's a lot of legal aspects as you're scaling a company mm-hmm. as well. And in truth, as much thought and effort as we put into all of this curriculum, that was the one aha moment for David and Robert and I to go, yeah, we should probably have attorneys in here. So they mm-hmm. came on as a partner with the event and, or with the curriculum and with the series and have just been an absolute outstanding partner to have be part of that. But we not just look at partnerships through them, we look at partnerships through a lot of different lenses and a lot of different ways. So our main goal is to collaborate with as many people in the community as we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are in such a fortunate seat to have, um, you know, within your reach, so many amazing masters in business. And um, it's, 
I'm sure have been a phenomenal ride and kind of humbling to some extent. Um, anything you want to say about that? You know, it's, I'm from the Midwest, so we're naturally sarcastic people. And we also, you know, will make fun of ourselves Mm -hmm. in the most ridiculous ways. And, and, you know, one of the things that that's just pretty tantamount to most people in the Midwest, not everybody, because, you know, there are people that, that are very high on themselves, Mm -hmm. but for the most of us, um, especially within my family, it's, well, we want the glory and the excitement to go over here and we're just in the background Uh and we're just doing this thing. And I've been really fortunate all throughout my career to be able to intermix with senior level executives and, and 80% of the time in, in intermixing with these folks, you can't, you would never know unless you had their business card or you saw their LinkedIn profile that Mm -hmm. that's who they were because they're pretty humble people for the most part. Um, you know, I remember years ago, my sister, she was visiting and, and I was working at the chamber and I had, there was this big fancy event to go to. And I said, well, throw on one of my dresses and you can come with me. And she said, I would, she's, she's been a teacher. Oh, yeah. And so she said, I, I like, they're not going to want to talk to me. And mm-hmm. what would I even say to them? And I mm-hmm. said, well, they, they, they all put their pants on one leg at a time. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're pretty much people. And she came out and she was like, everybody's so nice. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the thing sometimes that people look at and think, well, they're busy, they're not interested, they don't care, that's not time that's needed. The reality is we're all busy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you can be an individual contributor, you can be a CEO, everybody's busy. But if you, are, if, if you are a person who's interested and curious and you like to learn, it, anybody's going to want to sit down with you and have a conversation. So that's something I was fortunate to just be born with, to be curious and interested in wanting to learn. Mm-hmm. And it's done really well. But yeah, I mean, they're looking at what we have in Austin from an executive perspective. Mm-hmm. It's a great town to be in because they're, if you've got a reason to sit down with somebody and, and they can help you, most of the people are going to say yes. It's mm-hmm. very rare when someone says no. And yeah. usually they're not saying no. They're just saying, hey, right now is not a good time. Mm-hmm. Or let me connect you to someone else. Or really I don't have the expertise in that area, but, you know, my colleague over here or my peer over here does. Yeah, it is a fantastic town for connection. So one of the questions that I have, because I know a lot of people um, starting off don't have this experience. What is it like answering to a board? So, um, I went from early May having one boss to Mm -hmm. late May having 17 bosses. Right. And I think the thing you need to keep in mind is that one, each of these people's time is precious and the time that they have to give to you, you need to make the most of. So, you know, when I first came on, as interim CEO, it was like, well, I have these 950 questions and, you know, sending them out and everything else. And then, and then taking a step back and and asking them how they wanted me to communicate with them. Like, what's the easiest way for me to reach out to you? Mm -hmm. What, you know, is, is a phone call easier for you? Is an email easier for you? Do you want to sit down and have coffee with me on a regular basis? And so, you know, so I think the, the one good thing that I did, and this was actually advice that I received was to find out how they wanted me to communicate with them. What I've learned over time is that a big part of my job is managing, Mm -hmm. um, the communication between the board, because a lot of times, even though they're friendly with each other, and even though they might 
have some some personal friendships, like they're not getting together offline to talk about ATC business unless there's something specific they need to talk about. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's kind of the, you know, at first I felt bad about like, hey, I'm nudging you guys. You have to get this done. You have to get this done. And now that doesn't bother me at all. It's Mm -hmm. we need to get this done. And here's when we need to get it done. And by the way, the decision is going to be made by this date. And and, you know, the. It, the first time I did it, they were like, oh, oh, we're not used to this. Yeah. And now they're just like, okay, if she tells us we need to do something by this date, we need to do it. And it's also managing expectations with them as well. So it's, you know, it, I'm fortunate that I'm dealing with a great nonprofit board who believes in the mission and the vision of ATC, who, you know, they're they're fully supportive of it. And, and they're really, really just genuinely good people. I've not had to deal with a public or a private board for a company, you know, that, that has not been my experience, but if you're going into a nonprofit perspective, having good people who believe in what you're doing Mm -hmm. and who, you know, are genuinely good people is a very important thing. And even though not everybody agrees on every stance and every issue and every emotion that comes up in our board meetings, they all have a deep level of respect for each other and mm-hmm. they all are willing to work with each other. I've, I know people that have either from their company board or another nonprofit board and they're like, there's some contention in the room. Mm-hmm. That's hard because then what you're trying to accomplish can become difficult. So, so really I think the, where I'm going with this is the big lesson is that, you know, you have to learn to manage your board. When you take over, you have to learn to manage their expectations, manage their involvement and keep them on task for what they're doing because, and and it's not in a negative way to any of them at all. They're, Mm -hmm. they're completely generous with their time and their ability to do things. It's just that they also have a busy schedule and Mm -hmm. they've got a lot of other things on their plate. So unless you are keeping yourself top of mind, unless you're keeping your company or your, or your nonprofit top of mind, it's going to slide down, not on purpose, but mm-hmm. just by coincidence. Mm-hmm. I've found that as well over the years, not just uh, with boards, but uh, in uh, up managing, yeah. <laughs> if that's even a term, <laughs> yeah. that um, people become afraid to ask their senior level mm-hmm. uh, team members, executives, whoever they answer to, they become afraid to ask them for that thing they asked them for already. They think, oh, they're busy or they put it off. But those people are sometimes the busiest and have the most plates and and they forget. And if you just say, hey, that's due in three hours, they go, oh yeah, I'll get it for you right away. And they they appreciate that. Well, and and, and I appreciate it more than anything because we have a small team here and I wear a lot of hats and there are a lot of things that I need to get done every day. So I tell my team all the time, I'm like, listen, you're going to say something to me in passing and I'm going to look at you and say, yeah, I'll get that taken care of when I get back to the office. Mm-hmm. Do us both a favor and either send me an email. Put it on the calendar. Put it on the calendar. Remind me. Don't it, be I'm, afraid to do all three. I'm not forgetting on purpose. I'm forgetting yeah. because, you know, I have this I have this schedule and I have all these asks. It's on average, I get anywhere between, um, you know, with the the spam and the this and the that, I get anywhere between 200 and 400 emails a Mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. So it's like just trying to manage my inbox is, you know, 
not fun. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and, and, and knowing that I have to at least scan through there and look for the things that are really important that need to be addressed, things for members, things from the board, things from, you know, our, our collaborators that we work with in the community, things from my employees that they need help with. So, you know, I, if, if an individual contributor, a manager, a director, or a VP is out there listening and worried about reaching out to their C-suite executive that they report into, that they need something, and that goes all the way up the chain because managers are busy, directors are busy, mm-hmm. VPs are busy, you're never going to bother us. And, and I always tell people, you're never bothering your boss to remind them that something that they need to get done that's important to you and important for the growth of your business or your organization And if you are bothering them and they're telling you that they're bothering you, you probably need to go find another job. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Like like if they, if they don't want to make sure that you are meeting the needs that you want now, there are certain things that you have to just look at sometimes and go, this is not the right time. Or make a decision for yourself if you're empowered to do so. Like if you've worked for a company for six months and you want to ask for a promotion and a raise, you might want to at least wait for 12 months before you start that conversation. And and maybe not a promotion, but a raise is a, is an appropriate thing to discuss. But you know, if you're if you're walking in the door six weeks after on the job and go, hey, I've got two sales in, and can I get a big raise? I was like, you just gave yourself a raise for, via commission, so you have a nice rest of the year. Right. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll talk to you in twelve months. <laughs> yeah, that's a good advice. Don't go anywhere. I'm just taking a short break to thank one of our sponsors, Five D Show Services. 5D is a full-service trade show, display, graphics, and services company with over 30 years of experience. They partner with companies of all sizes to help plan and execute the best trade shows and events on time and on budget. I've worked with Danny at 5D for over 15 years and continue to be impressed with the level of service and quality he and his team provide. For more information on their capabilities, visit 5dshowservices.com. That's the number 5D showservices.com. We talked about the benefit of being in in Austin a little Mm -hmm. bit ago and uh, all the wonderful tech companies that are here. We're surrounded by government and tech and all these wonderful entrepreneurs and startups. Um, You had the, the pleasure and benefit of working at the Austin Chamber and now the Austin Technology Council. So you're always uh, uh, out and about. Do you have a something that would be your favorite part of those experiences? Um, you know, I th- my roles with both organizations were very different. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was at the chamber, I was an individual contributor. Um, I was in membership sales, and I absolutely loved it. It was a fantastic first job moving into a city you've never lived in mm-hmm. before. I mean, I, I met you. I met pretty much everybody who is still a good friend to this point at the chamber. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it was such a wonderful experience and I worked with so many incredible people. I think the thing I loved most about that job was when I first went in there, um, the membership division wasn't really involved with the economic development division, the marketing mm-hmm. division, the education division, the public policy division, like everybody had kind of done their own thing. And I was like, no, I need to make money. <laughs> so <laughs> all of you people know somebody I need to know. And I just moved here. So yeah. no one knows my name. And I went around and, every, and and at that time, I don't know if they still do it, but the chamber said, hey, you need to go sit down with every single VP and SVP in 
here so that you understand what the chamber does. It was great training. Mm -hmm. So I was sitting there and I remember sitting with um, Adriana Cruz, who's now, you know, running economic development for the entire state of Texas. And I sat down with her and I, and she probably doesn't remember this conversation, but I do. And I said, well, what events do you need me to come out and like hand out name badges and drink tickets for? And she looked at me and she said, what are you talking about? And I said, (laughs) well, do you need people? Do you, do you need me to come out and do this? And she said, we don't have salespeople do that. And I said, okay, well, how big is your team and how do they do that? And you know, if you ever need help, let me know. And she was like, wait, you're volunteering. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I said, yes, I'm volunteering. And she said, okay, well, I mean, I think we'll let you do that. So for me, it was building those internal relationships with the team. Mm -hmm. And supporting them. And supporting them. And you know what? That support came back to me tenfold. Because whenever they were working with a new prospect or whenever they had a company that needed to join or whenever there was a company that needed to join but wouldn't join, Mm -hmm. but they wanted the chamber to do all kinds of stuff with them, I could email that SVP and be like, hey, here's the response I just got from this company. And lo and behold, like an hour or two later, I'd get a phone call from the company going, yeah, you know what? Actually, we do want to join. Can we give Mm -hmm. you the credit card number right Mm -hmm. now? So not only was I an advocate for them, they were an advocate for me because the chamber does so much in the community. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I love most about that job with the head of sales role. When I came into ATC, because the organization was, was kind of in this crisis of we're doing all this work, but people don't know that we're doing this work. It was really fun to go here's what we're going to tell people, mm-hmm. here's what we're going to give people. And to be able to work with two other really dynamic women that got it mm-hmm. and got what I was trying to do and said, but we can also do this and we can also do this. It was really a fantastic time to be able to do that. And I think now with this role being CEO, when I moved here in 2009 and I started learning about Austin Technology Council and what they were doing, I started envisioning like, well, they could do this and they could do this and they could do this. And now I get to go do those things that I envisioned. And mm-hmm. so it's a lot of fun. It's it's exhausting it's sometimes. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Um, but it's it's a lot of fun. And it's 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 nice looking at the community and going, here's the impact that we've made so far, and here's the impact we'd like to make within five to ten years' time. Right. Um, being a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. You are um, much more aware of your mission and what it takes to please your members. You're constantly asking for um, you know people to up their or renew their memberships, become a member, or donate uh, their time and money to the organization. So, uh, how do you keep your team aligned? to that vision and and what do you do when they when you start to see them falter or stray or become unclear or not be able to explain it well I think the one thing that we do is we start every Monday morning off with you know a 15 to 30 minute this is what we need to accomplish this week this Mm -hmm. is what we're working on um gives people the appeal the ability to say this is how many appointments I have um our director of marketing will usually say, these are the events that we have. These are the times you need to be at those events. Here's why we're doing those events. And here's the topic again. Mm -hmm. Um, It also gives me the ability to say, here's what we need to be focused on this week. Here's the things that we do. And, you know, it's touch points. And then doing one-on-ones with the team 
members each week for about 30 minutes to say, what are you working on? What are you struggling with? Where are you going? Oh, and by the way, here's two or three points that I'm seeing that we need to address. And what other questions do you have? And so I think it's just being open Mm -hmm. and being aware. And, you know, I I always tell people, like, if I have to micromanage you, you won't be here that long Mm -hmm. because I don't have time to do that. Um, And it doesn't mean that if somebody doesn't need a little extra coaching or they might not need a little extra attention for a time, but it's like, if I've got to look at what you're doing every single day, Mm -hmm. all throughout the day, you're probably not the right fit here. But looking at it and going, but at the same time, everybody works really hard and sometimes people get into their silo and they stop seeing the other things that are going around. So I always encourage them to come to me and ask questions and I'm always trying to like be really clear about this is what I'm talking about with members. Mm -hmm. Here's the things that I'm saying to them. Here's the things we're working on. Here's why we're working on it. But I also encourage them to talk to each other Mm -hmm. about these things because they're all working. They're all having conversations. They're all getting involved with that. And so it's encouraging them to have open dialogue and communication. It's making sure that I'm doing that with them as well, because I'm not going to lie, you know, the last couple of weeks have, you know, with the start of the month and the start of the year and the end of fourth quarter, I've been racing around like a chicken with her head cut off, but I also know that I need to stop for a few minutes, take a deep breath and say, okay, where are you? Mm -hmm. Where do you feel like you're struggling? Where can I help you? And how can I help you better engage with these members and give them a better understanding? That's awesome. Yeah, I know with a membership-driven organization that um, the members, once they start to um, lose touch with the value that they bring to them, they see it as non-essential. So you kind of, in in the sales, um, the, the benefits are not the features that you might get when you have a technology company, they are different tangible benefits. And so kind of seeing that and and being able to, I know this has been a big strength of yours in sales is to read each individual company and say, this is your benefit, the benefit that you get from being in this organization, uh, as opposed to like, no, you get to go to these events. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. When I first started with the chamber and I first moved here, I, I did that. It yeah. was, we have happy hours. <laughs> and, then I, and then I picked up on really fast that CEOs did not care about going to happy hours. Yeah. But they did care about their employees going to happy hours. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and I think anybody does that when they first start a job. It's like, I just started this job, so here's all our features and benefits. Mm-hmm. And I think I was with the chamber for probably about two months, and it was like, okay, now I need to have a different conversation. Yeah. I need to understand. And I pulled out those sales tools that I'd known for years of of I need to figure out what they want, what's important to them without thinking in my mind about happy hours and coffee and connections, which were both great things right. that the chamber did. I went to all of those. Mm-hmm. They were great. But it was starting to look at what are you looking to do from an economic development perspective? Mm-hmm. What are you looking to do from here? When I came into ATC, because both the chamber, actually any business association is going to be an intangible. They're, we're not physically giving you Austin right. Technology Right, it's not your electricity Council. and your yeah. computer. Yeah, you know, it's, we're, not, we're not like, here, we just dropped Austin Technology Council off at your office. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, it, and it's about an ongoing conversation. I met with a couple of members earlier this week. It's two individual contributors for one of our newer members, and they're trying to figure out how best to utilize ATC. Well, we do introductions for members all the mm-hmm. time. 
And they had a long list of companies they wanted to be introduced to. So I literally went through there like, this is not a target for you based on what I know that you guys are trying to do. This company does not actually hire developers in the U.S. So Mm. this is not a target for you. Went through that, let them know like this company just went through an acquisition. So you need to give them at least six months. You need to do this. You need to do this. I said, okay, we've gone through your list. Let me know who you want to be introduced to first. Now... Let's talk about how you use ATC. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, we talked about the importance of networking and that when they come out, you know, don't make it rain with your business cards and, you know, and all this other stuff. And the moment I started talking to them about how to actually engage with members in a one-on-one way that's meaningful and will get them the notice that they want to get, like both of them broke out the notepads and the pens and they took copious notes and they started asking questions because that's the biggest fear, right? Whether you're going into a room where there's 15 people or 1500 people, like who's going to talk to me? Are they going to be interested in me? Are they going to want to ever have a conversation with me again? Like, like you can be the most extroverted person in the room, in the world. You go in, you walk into a room where you know no one Mm -hmm. and you can be completely confident and completely self-assured if you see everybody else talking to everybody else and you're the last person to walk in the room Mm -hmm. that's not comfortable no you might get past it a little bit more quickly being an extrovert but there's that little lizard brain of yours going you should run because none of these people know you Mm -hmm. and so so one of the things that we try to do and i start i did it when i was at the chamber and i make my team do it is if you see somebody standing by themselves you go up to them, you talk to them, you find out who they're looking to meet and you introduce them to the people in the room and you make sure that everybody's always talking to somebody. Mm -hmm. We had a situation where somebody was literally sitting down at a table by themselves while we were all networking. And I was like, somebody's got to talk to this Mm -hmm. person. Like, and I finally, I finally went and sat down with them and said, you know, there, there there's so many people in the room. Who would you like to meet? And this person looked at me and they said, I just got the worst email from my boss and I'm not in a great mood right now, Mm -hmm. but I know I need to be here and I just need like 15 minutes to sit here and get over that. Uh And, you know, they'd read the email right before they walked in the room and I was like, totally cool. Can I get you a glass of wine? Right. And they were like, yeah, anything red is good at this point. It was like, all right, went and got them a glass of red wine. They sat there, they had a few minutes, and then they got up and they started talking to people. So, so it's like we always try to be really aware of what's going on with people. We also know that sometimes people just need that 15 minutes and a yeah. glass of anything red. <laughs> I like that. That's kind of my quote for the day. <laughs> I have another shout out. This one is to Wimberly Films. This is a husband and wife team that loves the art of filmmaking. With over 20 years of experience capturing the magic of life and business, they transform moments and memories into tangible treasures. I've seen these folks in action and it's amazing. Their work is breathtaking. To see some of their work, look them up on Facebook or visit their website, wimberlyfilms.com. That's wimberlyfilms.com. In this role, what's been the hardest decision you've had to make? Um, so when I first came on as CEO um, back in May of 2018, I had to build up a team mm-hmm. and it was me and one other person here. And I had been head of sales and I then needed to be CEO and we had big numbers to hit and we had stuff that we had to get done. So I did like a quick hiring of people. Um, one of the people didn't work out. 
um, one of the people worked out, but only to a certain level. Um, very hard worker though. And somebody I think extremely fondly of, but I made some hires that probably were not as strategic as what we're looking to do now, just because it was more that panic situation. Mm -hmm. The lizard brain was like, you have to survive. You need to do this. I need people. And, you know, and so I, I did it in a rush. And, and when I got to that point that it was like, we don't need this individual or this role anymore, or this person is not the right fit for us. Um, those were difficult decisions to make mm-hmm. because, and and not that we just let them go. We gave them opportunities to like walk away gracefully with, you know, it wasn't the, I sat them down and said, it's not working. You need to leave. But it was, it was looking at people that I genuinely really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in truth, I still miss seeing every day because mm-hmm. we had a lot of fun and yeah. a lot of laughter and really great people they just either were no longer a fit for the organization or I had one employee, she literally worked herself out of a role. Like when she came in, her role was critical and she created so many processes and procedures for us. that I was literally like, I'm, I, wh- what do you do all day? And she was like, I'm I done. mean, and she said, we had that conversation. And so we gave her some time to like go and find the next thing. But it's that aspect of, you know, it's somebody you really like, they've been mm-hmm. a hard worker, they've done great work for you, and then to have to go, but we don't need this role anymore. Mm-hmm. And and it's not about you. Like, we love you. You know, I saw her in an event recently, and I hugged her. I didn't want to no. let her go. Um, but, you know, it's, it's also knowing that the skills that she picked up while she was here made her a much more viable candidate going elsewhere. So I think looking at the hardest thing I've had to do is, is look at making decisions around when when people and roles were still the right fit here because mm-hmm. you generally don't bring people on board that you don't like right and that you don't respect and that you don't you know enjoy seeing on a daily basis um doesn't mean I'm 100% accurate on that but you know sometimes you have to make tough decisions now sometimes the decisions are pretty much just made for you and you're just basically saying <laughs> this isn't working anymore yeah other times you have to sit and go, this is hard. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I think, I think anytime you're making decisions regarding employees, whether it's, I can't quite give you the raise that I was planning to give you last year, mm-hmm. or you're going to see a little bit of an increase on the benefits that you're paying for your family, because otherwise the organization would have to pay X amount more to go to this other place over here. And we can't guarantee that you're going to have to pay the same rate. Or it's looking at it and, and, you know, having difficult conversations with employees about, hey, you know, here's here's how this goes. I was talking to somebody recently. They're like, I see myself as a leader and I think everybody should be a leader. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. But sometimes you have to be the boss. Mm. And, you mm-hmm. know, my goal every day is to walk in and be a leader. And then sometimes we have to hit payroll. Right. And sometimes, you know, people don't, they're not where they're supposed to be. Um, sometimes Things aren't getting done that need to get done. Sometimes we promised a member we'd do something and then we completely didn't do it. And, you know, and that's the point where it's like, okay, I still want to be the leader, but right now I need to be the boss. Mm-hmm. I'm pausing on purpose because I think that's <laughs> something like grab your pen. It's, uh, it's a good note. If you haven't been in that position before or if you find yourself in that position, it is the hardest part of leadership is um, 
figuring out how to lead through those really challenging conversations Mm -hmm. and be strong and tough and, um, and, and be the boss and still be able to have that leadership conversation afterwards. Yeah. Like that, that balance. Well, and I think that's the key in, in making the right hires and in Mm -hmm. finding the right people to work for you. And I think the employees that I looked at and thought, you're not the right fit anymore, or we don't have a role here anymore. The hardest part was those were people that if I said, Hey, I have to be the boss here right now because of this conversation, I knew that they'd come back in the next day and I could be their leader again Mm -hmm. because they they got it. They got that it wasn't personal. Mm -hmm. It was, we need to get things done. Mm -hmm. They got, they they took on personal responsibility. They were hard workers, genuinely good and wonderful people. You can have those tough conversations. Exactly. You know, it's, it's like, you know, whenever I interview somebody, it's like, listen, the moment you, anytime somebody tells me I've never made any mistakes, I've always been successful in everything mm-hmm. I've done. I'm like, you're a liar. And this isn't going any further <laughs> because that means that you have no room for growth. Right. That means that you are literally saying you do everything perfectly and no one anywhere, probably including your parents has ever had a conversation with you about a mistake you made. And I just don't believe that everybody's 100% successful all the time. I've worked with probably some of the most successful salespeople anybody could imagine working with. I've worked with some of the most successful executives that anybody could imagine working with. I've worked for small companies, nonprofits, and I've worked for Fortune 100 companies all across the board. Any good leader, any successful person will sit there and tell you about all the mistakes that they made Mm -hmm. over all of the successes that they've had. They, they want to tell you about the mistakes because they know that that's a way for you to learn how to avoid those things so that you can become more successful than they were. Is there a failure you want to talk about or a, Oh, I was the worst copier salesperson on the face. Of the <laughs> <laughs> I, I like, like I, and, and you know, it's interesting because I was explaining this to somebody today, the first company I worked for my, the boss, the president of the company, he, he had a substance abuse issue and would frequently make work um, unpleasant. And so I was not, and, and this is where I failed is, or, or made mistakes and missteps is I didn't identify with the fact that I hated selling copiers. I identified my unhappiness at work with this person, with that person. Mm -hmm. Right. And a lot of people were, even people who were hitting their numbers and being really successful were associating unhappiness with the company, with the president of the company. My uncle worked for the company. He was feeling the same way. Like it was something we were all talking about the second he left the Mm -hmm. building and, and we talk about it offline. And, and so I went and got a job with another copier company Mm. And I got a job with Konica Minolta in Michigan and talk about some of the most supportive leadership you could ask for. We had a once a month meeting over in the Detroit area. So we'd drive a couple of hours over to Detroit. Um, you know, we always had a team lunch and then we'd go in there and like the president of the company would like go and say hello to everybody. And he celebrated everybody's win. Even if you weren't like hitting your goal, if you did better than the month before, he came over and gave you a pat on the back and told you how proud he was of you. So really, really good structure and culture and corporate leadership. And I still didn't do good. And that's where I learned, oh, I don't like selling copiers. Mm -hmm. This is nothing. Yes, I was unhappy at the previous, 
But that was my aha moment. And I thought, and I look back on that and go, if I had just separated what I was doing from a work perspective with my feelings on who I, who we were all reporting up to, Mm -hmm. I probably could have identified that. And I wouldn't have gone over to the other's copier company. I would have gone and done something else. But because I was so focused on, I don't like that. I didn't understand that I wasn't good at it. Mm-hmm. And that well, I you couldn't have, be passionate about it. Oh, I was not. I, I was more passionate about selling trash and recycling than I ever was about selling a copier. Mm-hmm. Ever. Like, I don't like to use copiers. Printers drive me insane. It's like, I mm. people are like, oh, should we print off stuff? I'm like, no, just send us soft copies. Like, yes, just absolutely. put it in a PDF and send it. I don't want to print anything. So it's that particular aspect of if I would have known that more about myself, this is the decision I would have made. But looking at also of going from a really toxic environment with a company mm-hmm. and then going to a similar sized company and seeing, oh, this industry is not toxic. That mm-hmm. person was toxic and look at how great this could be. So, so I was actually inspired more mm-hmm. and I tried harder. Mm-hmm. I just was terrible at it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just didn't want to sell copiers. And so when I moved to Austin, I had, I think like Xerox or something had reached out to me. I'm like, yeah, you don't want me. You to, don't want me. You, to do you don't want me. I it actually was at a, it was at a chamber event. I think it was some executive from Xerox was like, we should talk to you about coming and working for us. Like, you don't want me to come work for you. I'm terrible. That's interesting. Um, I recently read a book uh, by a woman named Lisa MacLeod, and I'm not remembering the name of the book, but it's uh, purpose-based selling and story-based selling. And um, and you automatically do that. And I think people who are really, and and the, the book points out that people who are really successful over time with sales they're not just looking at the features and benefits. They're looking at how the stories, how this organization, this business, this product changes lives, Mm -hmm. um, even if it is a computer or whatever. So you weren't weren't able to connect because you didn't connect with this makes these positive changes in people's lives. You're like, ah, no. You're like, like no, seriously. I mean, the the one, like the biggest win that I had in my career was actually in copier sales. Really? I... like because it because I should have never won the deal not because mm-hmm. it was the biggest sale I ever had I should have never won the deal our machine wasn't as good enough we were overpriced we, we were priced higher than the other two machines that were better our cost per copy was more expensive I was the first person in on the demo so usually the last person in on the demo is the one that wins the deal so I was the first one in and the reason I won the deal was this was a small um, tool and die shop in Michigan. I, I mean, big from that, but, you know, it, it wasn't like Ford or anything. It was mm-hmm. just, they, they probably had about 100 employees. And I brought in, I was really nice and friendly with everybody. I wrote a thank you note to the owner of the business. And then I wrote a thank you note to the two women that I worked with. And it was handwritten and just enjoyed meeting you complimented his team because they were really lovely women and and you know and and both of them were like well you know these copiers are a little bit better the cost per copy like if you could do something on that maybe and the owner of the company called me the following week and he said hey we're gonna go with you and I mean, I was like, I was like, wait, are you, do you not know how math works? <laughs> so, you know, I didn't say that, but I was like, okay, I'm putting the contract together now. And when I sat in his office, he said, I want you to see how, cause we came down on our cost per copy to get the deal. But 
he said, I want you to see why you won this deal. And he showed me the handwritten thank you note that I sent him. And then he showed me two typewritten letters. And he asked me to read both of the typewritten letters from my competitors. Both competitors didn't said thank you for the demo. Here's all the reasons why you should go with us and why the other two companies are bad. Mm-hmm. Both of them. It was like they sat down together and wrote it and just swapped things. They were almost identical. And I'm like, oh, well, that's awful. Why would they do that? And he said, that's why you won the business. He goes, I don't want to hear from you why these other companies are bad. I want to hear about why you're good and why you like my team and everything else. And that to me was such a powerful moment. Mm -hmm. It's like, I should have never won this deal. My machine wasn't as good. It was more expensive. The cost per copies were more. I was the first one in. I should have, there's nowhere in this scenario I should have ever won that deal. And I won it because I stayed true to myself Mm -hmm. because I didn't care about my competition. I cared about the fact that they knew I enjoyed working with them. And that's kind of how I've carried my career Mm -hmm. all along. But after that moment going, this is how I need to carry my career moving forward. So anytime somebody says, why should I join this organization and not yours? I'm like, well, why not join both? Mm -hmm. Like if you're looking at them and you're looking at us, we do two different things. What is it you really need to have done? And this sort of thing. And people always ask me, because I worked at the chamber, like, why should I join ATC instead of the chamber? I'm like, well, you should join both. And here's why. We're different organizations. Here's how we're different and everything else. And I've had a lot of people come back and they go, well, we did join both. It's like, Uh because it makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. I've talked to um, several people who run uh, what they would call B2B companies and, um, with my marketing agency, they'll say, well, do you do B2B? I'm like, yes, but why do you consider yourself just B2B? Do you not eventually sell directly to a person? Are there not relationships that Mm -hmm. are made? Are there not people that are dealing with your services or products? Because that relationship still matters. And so when you, when you look at your customer as a person, as a team, as people, you see them differently than yeah. when you look at them. It's like, oh, it's I'm selling to Microsoft. Well, no, you're not selling to Microsoft. You're selling to the person that's making a decision or the team that has to look at all of the, the information. And at the end of the day, it's about a relationship. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it is. And if you are not building relationships with people and with more than one person within the company, mm-hmm. then you're you're shooting yourself in the foot. Um, you're kind of requiring them to look at the numbers at that point. Yeah, yeah, you are. And if you're and if you're also not investing in and not to do the I see your grandchild graduated from kindergarten, here's a card. Right. Um, but you know, at least remembering that, you know, they really like, you know, sushi restaurants and to go if you've been to someplace new to say, Hey, I was just at this place. Have you heard of it yet? You should definitely go there. Mm -hmm. Um, it's looking at all of those different things. I had a member years ago who, when I was at the chamber, who just called me out of the blue on a, and said, Hey, I need your help with something. And I said, well, what's going on? And he'd let me know what was going on in his family. And I said, okay, well, here's what you do. And I left the chamber shortly after I had connected him with the people I needed to connect him with. And I ran into him probably about four years later at a happy hour. I hadn't seen him in years. And I said, I go, hey, how did that ever work out with this? And he looked at me and he's like, you remember that? Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, of course I remember. You called me to ask for help 
from a personal perspective. And I, I remember like, how, how did that work out? And it worked out good for him, but he, he was like, I can't believe you remember that. We haven't seen each other in years. Like, but this was an important thing for you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, listen, after working at the chamber for four years and ATC for almost three years now, if you're not wearing a name tag, I might not remember your name. <laughs> but um, I'm probably going to remember that you had a situation you needed some help with and we helped you. Yeah, I, I think you're a lot like me in that. And you remember um, the situations and the stories and um, it becomes harder and harder to remember the names the more people you meet. <laughs> well, I'm used to wear, people wearing name tags uh-huh. now. So it's like, yours definitely <laughs> yeah yeah it becomes pretty difficult yes. so what do you see for your future or the future of the organization um you know that that's an interesting question I had a conversation with a board member about that the other day of you know what did I see for the organization and what did I see for this and you know for eight for the longest time ATC has been the little business association that could, mm-hmm. um, you know, looking at the fact that we have over 4,500 revenue generating technology companies in Austin, I'd like to see us within 10 years time capture 30% mm-hmm. of those companies within membership. And in order to do that, we need to be able to continue developing programming. We need to continue to develop projects. We need to continue to develop relationships with people. So it's not just something where I'm going to go, Hey team, Go grow us to this point. Right. It's, hey, let's go out and let's really show the community that this is what they do. So they want to come and they want to be part of this Mm -hmm. community that we're building here. So that's really what I see for ATC is, you know, continue to expand, but expand in a meaningful way. So one of the things that we always do is we always review programming. So we review things like our leadership dinners and our roundtable series once a year like are we doing this the right way is this still providing benefit and value to people do we need to add anything do we need to take anything back um you know when we when we do our our big events or gateway our battle of tech bands and our ceo summit we sit down afterwards and we do a download as a team like what are we seeing what do we see and then we go out and we talk to members like what did you like what did you what do you think we could do better a lot of different things along those lines so there's always room for improvement. And so we're always looking for how we can improve. We love feedback from Mm -hmm. members saying, this is something we'd like to do, Mm -hmm. or this is something we'd like to see. There are certain things we can't do. Like I think all of our members would love us to give our entire database of email addresses. Mm -hmm. We're never going to do that. (laughs) I tell my employees all the time, like fastest way to lose your job at ATC is to send out our database. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that, and the reason that it's a violation of trust, And it's a violation of who we are to our members. And I mean, I personally, every time I walk into a retail establishment, they're like, and do you want to give us your email address? I do not. Mm -hmm. You can promise me to the sun, the moon, and the stars that you're not going to use my email address for anything other than sending me coupons. But I'm just not going to do that. So we've built in our 28 years of existence this aspect of trust with our members Mm -hmm. that if we get your information. If we get your email address and your phone number, we do not share it with anyone. In fact, our introductions that we do for members, we reach out to the member who, like, let's say you want to meet, let's, let's say somebody wanted to meet you. We'd reach out to you first before we did the introduction mm-hmm. because we want your permission. Now, usually we'll reach out twice. And if by the second time you still haven't gotten back to us, we'll just do the introduction to, you know, I can't check in with you once a week for the rest of my life. But 
you at least know, you've at least gotten two pings to go, this is what we'd like to do. So that if you see it, you're like, yeah, they they let me know twice and I didn't let them know no Uh or yes. So we always reach out and we let people know, like, do you want your, do you want this introduction? It's very rare when people tell us no. And usually when they tell us no, it's a, yeah, not right now. Mm-hmm. Because we've got other things going on, which anybody who's asking for an introduction to somebody loves it when they're like, this is not the time. Okay, great. We'll check in later. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, so so for us, we want to continue to like build that trust and build that aspect of community and, and actually see companies get engaged with what we're doing. Because the more companies that get involved and actively involved, and that doesn't mean that the CEO comes out to every single thing, but the more that their employees are getting involved, the more those companies are going to grow, and the more those companies are going to create an impact on the on the ones that are coming up behind them that are mm-hmm. trying to grow. So really doing an extension of that. So to that point, for those companies that are coming up behind them, what advice you've seen mm-hmm. businesses of all size in this town um, grow and flourish into like we talked about earlier some of the you know giants and also lots of them flutter and sputter Mm -hmm. so what advice do you have to anyone out there getting ready to take a leap toward a new venture that they're passionate about well so here's the thing if you talk to gordon dowtry at capital factory if you talk to amos schwartzfob at Techstars, if you talk to bill blackstone over at galvanize if you talk to any mentor, investor, VC, or private equity firm, the first thing they're going to tell a, a person that's looking for that new entrepreneurial aspect, do you have a project or do you have a company? Mm-hmm. And I think you need to be really honest with yourself about it because a lot of times people look at it and go, I have a passion project. That's great. That's not a company. Mm-hmm. A company is something where you can monetize a product hire employees, scale to a successful exit. That's what a company is. Now, a lot of times you might have a company, but that company just doesn't flourish or come to fruition. Mm -hmm. So I think the number one advice that I would give to anybody looking to become an entrepreneur is be really honest and direct with yourself. Mm -hmm. Because yes, you might start out that entrepreneurial journey being pretty comfortable financially, Mm-hmm. You might end that that entrepreneurial journey in a really, really dire situation financially. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to put yourself through that because it causes ripple effects that are really hard to climb back out of. Now, that doesn't mean that you might not get to that near bankruptcy state and end up with an, with you know with complete dire consequences. You could get to the near bankruptcy state and you know, end up building bizarre voice like Brett Hurt did. You right. know, he had $27 in his checking <laughs> account and he, you know, and look at him out. today. So he yeah. figured it out. But he figured it out because he was really honest with himself and he right. was really honest with the people around him. And when you're honest with yourself, you can then be honest with everybody else and then you can go to there. It's I was joking with a couple of board members and I, I said, I go, oh, well, I, I, I don't make stuff up and I don't give false compliments. Right. Because I have to remember those two things and I barely have time to remember to feed myself every day. So I'm not going to remember that I told you something that wasn't true and I'm not going to remember that I gave you a false compliment. Right. So I'm not going to remember those things because half the... too hard to keep up with. This time, today, I got up in the morning, had an early meeting, forgot to get breakfast in between 
then I forgot to eat lunch. So it's like, before you got here, I'm like scarfing down food. It's like, <laughs> I don't need everybody in Austin hearing my stomach growl. Right. <laughs> so it's like, I forget to feed myself a lot. So it's like, I can't keep up with you. Yeah. It's like, I am definitely not going to remember a lie. I told you. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So I, um, I'm thinking back to what you just said about the passion projects. And I think that it's a really good point that you can start off with a passion project and maybe that's the time to bring on a partner or uh, someone that can look at your project and say, do you have a viable business model with this? Yeah. Being honest with yourself and, and honest with uh, some other person. And I've heard a lot of um, investors uh, will say that um, the best uh, startups are almost always uh, opposite partners. One that is the um, the relationship builder, the passionate person that is you know always out there selling, and then the one that is constantly looking at the numbers and is love spreadsheets more than people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because that balance is really necessary. Yeah. So you can follow that passion, but you have to be true and honest to your with yourself. Yeah, you absolutely need that. And you need when when you're looking for a co-founder and this is just looking at people that I've seen that have had successful co-founding relationships is, you know, they they balance each other out completely. Mm-hmm. Like when the one is stressed, the other one's like, "No, we got this. We're covered." Because the other one's going to be stressed pretty soon and then you're going to have to be the one that says, "No, no, no, we got this covered." Um, and I think as well, it's it's really important to have at least a co-founder. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just sitting in the seat that I sit in and I did not found ATC. I took it over 26 years into it, but sitting in this seat, even though I've got a really supportive team and I've got a really supportive board and I have lots of supportive friends and family, it's still really lonely. And it's really hard because when you have to be, when you are alone making the decisions, it's really, really difficult. And when you're making really tough financial decisions about, do I keep going with this? Do I take out a second mortgage on the house? Do I start driving Lyft and Uber? Like when you have to make those really tough decisions, it's really great to have somebody else say, I'm making this tough decision with you. Right. Um, Once you structure the company and you stand the company up and you start hiring employees, whoever is going to be in the CEO seat is going to be in the loneliest seat. But when you're starting the company, start with somebody that you know they've got your back and you've got theirs. Mm -hmm. Also make sure you hire a lawyer and Mm -hmm. and set up a really great partner agreement Mm -hmm. and and business agreement from the get-go because as much as you might think, that person is the most wonderful person in the world and they'd never betray you and you'd never betray them or, or anything else. There's a hundred thousand things that could go wrong mm-hmm. that could be detrimental to that relationship. So I would say along those lines too, that, um, this is something that has come up in almost every podcast interview I've done so far. If you're not going to have a co-founder, you should have a coach because uh, you really need to have somebody that you yeah. can be honest with and they can be honest with you and yeah. you can have those tough conversations. Well, and I think for women, especially when they're founding businesses um, and, and all of the successful women entrepreneurs that I know do this, but they, you know, obviously women always want to mentor other women and we're always happy to do that. And mm-hmm. I'm always happy to mentor another woman, but I also let women know, like, you need to go find a successful male executive 
like actually a successful male executive, not one that just says that they are, but they <laughs> actually are. Um, and you need to ask them for sponsorship and allyship mm. because... Yeah. It's really difficult as a female founder mm-hmm. to go out and get fundraising. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big areas that's not talked a whole lot about because women are in this very difficult space of they need to do fundraising. So the Me Too movement that's mm-hmm. going on in Hollywood, at some point that might happen in the venture world. Oh, it's it, the conversations are happening. It's oh, just not as large. The yeah. women are talking to that's each other. That's true. Maybe we, um, you and but, I. You know, but it, it's that thing where you know I, I have a very good friend, and, and he and I were sitting down, and we were talking about sales one mm-hmm. time, and we were talking about what it was like to be in sales. And I said, well, 20%. I said, I've spent 20% of my career being either sexually or verbally harassed. Mm-hmm. Never once by a coworker or a boss. 100% of that 20% was clients. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I mean, it's happened like at chamber events. Mm-hmm. Um, it's happened um, when I was going out and meeting with clients, when I was working in the trash and recycling industry. It's happened in every single job that I have had. I think people are a little bit more fearful about doing it right now with the job that I have because I have a, oh, I have a bigger, I have a yeah. bigger microphone in front of me now. But the one thing that I'm forever grateful for and is that, well, one, my mom was a litigation secretary. So she told my sister and I after the Nita Hill thing, she's like, if anybody sexually harasses you, you go to your boss. Mm-hmm. And, and so I always went to my bosses and my bosses always had my back. And so if you're, if you're dealing with harassment, you need to go to your boss. You need to talk to them about it. Um, Unless your boss is the one doing it. Well, then you need to go find out whoever your boss's boss is and Mm -hmm. have a conversation. Everybody has a boss. Everybody has a boss. And you've just got to find out who that person's boss is. Um, Sometimes that boss's boss is their spouse. And sometimes it is their board. You have to let somebody know that that is happening to you. You cannot allow that to continue. Um, I mentor a lot of young women in sales careers who say, how do you get out of a four o'clock meeting? Mm-hmm. Like you bring your, you bring your boss. Mm-hmm. If you can't get out of the four o'clock meeting, you bring your boss because a four o'clock meeting with a man you've never met before. That's unless it's in his office and it's during business hours and they don't close until five or five thirty. If they want to meet you for coffee or for a drink, that's not a business meeting. That's a date. Mm-hmm. And it happens only 20% of the time. <laughs> but it's amazing the men who don't do it, the looks on their face. So my friend, when I was explaining to him these things that had happened to me in my career, like he looked at me and said, it's not that I don't believe you. I'm just trying to figure out why they thought they could get away with it and mm-hmm. why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, because they can, because it happens. There's also confusion. As a salesperson, I've had um, people think that, like we had relationships or we were dating. I'm like, why would you even think that? We're all here together in this big networking event. I just, I thought we were just yeah. talking. I gave you my business card. It's not, yeah, it is. It's really interesting. You're, you know, pretty personable person. You're out there like with your personality. Like, did and I offer to introduce you to my grandma? Right. Then no, exactly. we were not dating. It's, it's like, so weird. Yeah. Well, and you know, but when you have. look at it as well, when you're a female founder, it's not just that sexual harassment aspect. It's the fact that people might not meet with you because you're a female founder. Oh, yeah. It's the fact that 
You might not get the right board members because you're a female founder. It's the fact that you might not get the right potential C-suite candidates in front of you because you're a female founder. And the only thing that's really, truly tracked is the lack of funding. Yes. Nobody's talking about those other pieces. Exactly. Well, we're going to talk about those other pieces this summer where we're going to have that conversation. But it's this aspect of that one man who is your ally and your sponsor. Mm -hmm. He is successful. He not only has a seat at the table, he probably owns the damn table and the seats <laughs> around it. So it's like, that's that who man, you, you, that you need that man who's looking at you and saying, mm -hmm. you can do anything you want to do. You are smart. You are capable. You're the best person for this job. I ha I'm fortunate that I have a few of those men in my life who are my allies and my mentors and my sponsors. And I know that, you know, I could go six months without having an actual conversation with them. And if I need something, they're going to, they're going to answer the phone when I call. Mm -hmm. And every, and it's not just female founders, it's female executives, it's female managers, it's female individual contributors. Find some man within your network who's made it who, who, who owns the table and the chairs around it to champion you because women who have sponsorship and they have allyship from successful men, those women are 45% more likely to be executives or founders. Mm -hmm. And they're over 50% more likely to make more money than their counterpart, than their female counterparts. Wow. So get that allyship, get that sponsorship. That's the best thing you can do for yourself in your career. Still go to women and have, have women who are mentors, but make sure you get that other aspect. Mm -hmm. and, and especially when you're looking to negotiate your salary, sit down with a man in practice <laughs> having that conversation. You'd be surprised what he would ask for versus what you're going to exactly. ask for. Because when I've sat down with other women and practiced salary negotiation, oh, that's such a great point. Oh, you're going to do so great. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Like they're encouraging, right? Because we're just mm -hmm. naturally encouraging oh, and lifting yeah. up. And the only time we're going to say, no, don't do that, is if you do something that's just glaringly obvious that you don't do. And not all women do this, but majority of women do this. Mm -hmm. Men, on the other hand, will go, why did you Why you even bring that up? That's not relevant not to the relevant. conversation. Mm -hmm. And don't position that that way because it's making it sound like you're, you're okay if they give you less. Mm -hmm. And so having done this exercise with men throughout my career, when my niece got to that point where she called me in tears and I'm like, okay, and I... I literally looked at it through the lens of a man. I'm like, no, you don't have this conversation. And no, you don't say this. You do this. You do this. You do this. Here's what this looks like. Here's what your OTE looks like. Here's all this stuff. But that doesn't mean that if I need to do that again, I'm not going to sit down with a man and do it. Mm -hmm. Because I might know enough to say it to her, but then when I have to do oh, it myself, right. it's like most pe perspective. smart people don't write their own resume. Right. Smart people don't do their own OTE. <laughs> well, Amber, I have really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, uh, truthfully, we're going to go to happy hour and continue <laughs> it. Um, but it sounds like we're going to have to do this again and talk about this whole segment separately um, and expand on it because this is, um, like you said, you're, you're going to do the series in the summer. Maybe we do uh, a, you know, a podcast at that time around the same topic because it's definitely something that uh, we all need to talk more about. And, um, and I think a lot of women are afraid to say you need a man as an advocate. 
Um, but we still, we still live in the world we live in. Yeah. <laughs> so we have yeah, to you do, deal with but it. make sure you get the right man as an advocate. Yeah. And if he's not willing to give you references for other women that he's helped in a business situation, then he's not an advocate. He's probably going to try to get you to go on a date. <laughs> Good point. So we'll close on that and, um, we'll come back and have some, some more discussions that about this great. and other topics. Thank Wonderful. you so much. Thank you, Stephanie. Hey, so what did you think of MVP Business? If you liked it, please subscribe and tell all your friends. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. If you didn't like it, don't just leave. Let me know what I can do to improve, who you'd like to hear from, and what you'd like to learn. The mission of MVP Business is to share the strengths and struggles of leaders who have successfully grown their businesses while staying true to their mission and vision so that other entrepreneurs can follow, knowing that the path isn't easy but the journey's worth it. If you believe in this mission, please help by living it and sharing it. In the meantime, enjoy the day and live with passion.